Hey everybody, this is Turner. Welcome to All Out War. This is a special broadcast. It's a rebroadcast, actually, if I'm going to call it correctly. Uh, we just finished, in our previous episode, uh, Jessica gave her testimony. And what a powerful and awesome story that was, and it is. And if you haven't heard that yet, I just want to suggest that you go back and listen to the episode before this one. Uh, she wanted to share her testimony because she's going to be taking over that co-host position for Rosie as he steps away for a time. And we thought it would be great, which was her idea to just say, hey, let me share my testimony so that she can, so that we could get to know her a little bit, all of our listeners that have been following us and listening to us for the last four and a half years. And so uh, after she shared her testimony on Instagram, um, I was very surprised to receive several messages from people saying, hey, when are you going to share your testimony? And uh, <laughs> I have given my testimony and I've given my testimony on what was called the Warcast, which was a private podcast that Rosie and I put together and you had to pay to subscribe to get access to that. And the whole idea was you pay to get behind this paywall and we can talk about whatever we want without things getting censored or removed from like YouTube. And it was basically a, a private uh, URL feed that we would give you for your podcast player and then you would subscribe to it. And, uh, and so um, we had limited space in that. I think only 50 people could join that. So I shared my testimony on that, on the Warcast, the private podcast, uh, which we're no longer doing. And I thought that, you know, maybe I could share my testimony here by rebroadcasting what I played on the Warcast. So I've edited, edited it a little bit here and there just because there's some stuff that we did differently than we do typically on, on this All Out War podcast, uh, the way we would do intros and things like that. So I've edited it and tried to put it together in a co cohesive way. But at any rate, here is... Uh, Turner's testimony. <laughs> so I would say sit back, grab a coffee, and enjoy. You're listening to the All Out War podcast. Romans chapter 8, and it's uh, verses 26 and 27, where it says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he searches out our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, and he who searches out our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And, uh, Amen. Yeah, and I thought that was a good... Um, a good song to kind of represent a little bit about my testimony to be honest mm -hmm. with you because um when i was born uh, i was born into a family that we were not christians and so um you know uh my dad was raised by alcoholic parents and uh, my his mom died before i was even born and he was actually the oldest of four and he was taken out of the home um, and raised by his grandmother because his parents couldn't, they, they weren't functional. And uh, they just fought all the time. I mean, my dad told me a story about my grandpa. He tried to drown my grandma in his in the toilet. Wow. They were drunk and fighting. And, um, and then my grandfather died when I was a senior in high school. So my dad didn't have um, 
my he was raised by his grandmother, my great grandmother, and she she was a believer, but she never really, you know, her story was she was married four times. The last time she was married, um, she eloped and ran away from the nursing home <laughs> that she was in. So <laughs> she was a pretty crazy woman. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, my dad never had exposure to real authentic Christianity. And then my mom, who was raised in a Christian home, um, just, you know, through life circumstances, uh, never, when she left home, she she left home, she uh, was, you know, she she was she never finished school, and she left home and under circumstances that were pretty tough, and um, she just never really picked it back up. So when we were raised, we never had an emphasis on Christ or church or the Bible or anything. And um, Christmas and Easter to us was the Easter Bunny and Santa. That's what it was all about. Yeah. And um, when I was 12, my parents ended up getting divorced. My dad had an affair, and um, he ended up leaving us. And and that really threw me for a side spin. I mean, it just or tailspin, I should say. Um. When my dad, the day it was a Saturday morning when when my dad decided he was going to leave, like when it all kind of kind of it got exposed and my mom had found out and he was leaving and it was Saturday morning I'll never forget and I was standing at the front door with him and I was like holding onto his arm I was like Dad please don't go don't go you don't have to go please don't go and he pushed me away and he looked at me and he says you butt out of my life mm-hmm. and I was like whoa like that as a twelve year old just yeah. tears you. like that was it. And I remember he he drove off, and I went and got on my bike, and I rode up. There was like four blocks away. There was an elementary school, and I just sat in the corner outside um, by the gym um, in this like corner of the building, and uh, just cried, and didn't know why it was happening. Couldn't understand. Remember, I didn't have God. I didn't mm-hmm. have any concept of that. And I, you know, you're as a kid at 12, 11, 12 years old, you think, what did I do? What could I do better? And looking back, I can remember how unhappy my dad was. And um, just, he's just, you know, he, a guy who was raised by a grandmother who was married four times and had alcoholic parents, um, he's not going to be functional, you know, emotionally. In fact, my wife and I joke now about my dad, how he's just not emotionally, he's just emotionally broken. Like he can't. Yeah. We have a harder word that I, I'm not going to use. But um, so. At 12 years old, my parents divorce, and my mom, who was a cafeteria manager, or she was working at an elementary school cafeteria at that time, um, she needs to start working. So she works two jobs, and it's my older sister, who was seven years older than me, had left the house already. She joined the Navy, and it was my twin sister and I. So I have a fraternal twin sister. And, Not uh, an identical not identical. No, if we we're identical, she'd be in trouble because uh, she'd have a beard, or I would be <laughs> very attractive because <laughs> she's really pretty. But um, and she's really smart, much smarter than I am. But um, she she handled it one way, and I handled it another way. I became the rebel. So I went. You know, my dad's dead to me, and here I was, this somewhat. I was pretty innocent guy, you know, young kid. Like I wasn't a troublemaker. I was compliant. Um, you know, I never really liked to cause problems. And uh, and I remember um, just beginning to hang, hang out with kids that were definitely not um, compliant. 
<laughs> how to put it that way. And my sister went the route of like straight A's. She was like the, you know, the um, captain of the Pantherettes. That was a our uh, high school drill, like drill team or whatever. The girls, you know, they danced. They, I don't know what they call it now. It's not cheerleading, but it's something like that. And she like got a, she went to Virginia Tech on a scholarship and all the, you know, just very smart, very, you know, math major, the whole, she went that whole route of like, you know. Just devoted to uh, school and personal achievement. So one of the things that I realized as I got older, um, especially after I got saved, was how damaging um, what happened with my parents divorcing was to my identity and to her identity. Her identity, she had so much, like the father, and I, I take this to heart as being a dad, is the father has so much impact on their children. They don't realize the impact they have on their children, especially in a marriage. And um, with her, I think her striving to be an A student and excel and be always be the number one, the best, was out of a gaping you know, part of her heart and emotions that were my dad would have affirmed her in Mm -hmm. because he kind of left us and left us. Mm -hmm. He worked for the government and he ended up going overseas. He lived in different places like Greece and Thailand and, um, you know, all over the world. And he just never was around after he left. And, um, he just poured himself into his, his job, you know? And, uh, so I'm starting to experiment drugs and, um, I became, you know, I was a wrestler I had, I still had like this one push through high school where I was like athletic enough to where I was a wrestler. And I started in middle school and I did pretty good. And then in high school, I was, I would have been really, I think I would have been really good because the guy that came up behind me in high school, the the same weight class as me, he was a year younger. I had um, beaten him in middle school at our all county championship. I was the county championship, and I was wrestling Junior Olympics, and we were practicing with the Marine Corps wrestling team in the summer um, down at Quantico, Virginia. I grew up in, in you know that part of Virginia, and they were just killing us. But they would take us to tournaments. Um, I remember I got to go to see. This is really cool. I got to. I was taken by the Marine Corps wrestling team to go to Penn State mm. to watch them wrestle against the Russians. Oh, that's cool. It was very cool. Yeah. And they won. They won. And um, so that was really cool. And uh, I still remember the sergeant that uh, made me puke almost every day at practice in the summer because we would practice in this big um, airplane hangar, mm. no air conditioning in the summer. And they would just work us out, work us out, work us out. Well, the guy that was with me that was a year younger than me, um, he ended up being, a, I think, two-time state champion. Oh, wow. And he was in my weight class. So once he got into high school, he kind of pushed me out of the way. And I, it would be a big wrestle-off to see who was going to be the starter. Mm-hmm. And he could have, we could have had an amazing team if he would have just gone up. He was always trying to cut weight. I could never. I was always underweight, and I, I wrestled at 98 pounds. <laughs> that sounds crazy, but I did. I wrestled at 98 pounds. I graduated wrestling. I would have wrestled 98 pounds when I graduated. So wrestling was a big deal to me. I actually did really well even in high school. Um at the JV level, but, you know, um, I was also at the same time I started skateboarding and there was this conflict in the eighties, right? You know, you couldn't be a jock and a a skater, Mm -hmm. you know, they just, they weren't compatible. It's much more compatible now. And, um, so there was this pool and I was actually a good skater. I ended up getting sponsored 
um, for skateboarding by Atlantic Skates out of Ocean City. And um, we would, I would skate, they'd give me free gear. And, um, you know, I would go to Ocean City, I'd go to Virginia Beach, I would go to, there was a great uh, ramp in Northern Virginia called Cedar, uh, Cedar Crest Country Club. And uh, so I would go to Cedar Crest. And I was like, I started smoking a lot of pot at that point. And I was kind of like the guy that would be like the dealer. <laughs> you all right there? <laughs> <coughs> Sorry, you said it like right when I was... <laughs> oh, getting ready to cough. <laughs> yeah, well, hitting my nicotine vape. I nicotine vape, yeah. yeah. But Rose, it was just... <laughs> Rosie, you're clean. I know that for a fact. Um, but uh, yeah, so I was like the guy that would like go to the ramps and sell the weed to the guy the pros and stuff and i was good enough to be able to skate with them i never was good enough to be pro i mean that's like a whole different level and um it was always ramp i would always skate ramp i wasn't one of those street street skater guys and um and uh i loved to snowboard and surf and all that stuff so i'd go out snowboarding in wyoming and places like that and it was just um i was really becoming like i really had no interest in finishing school um, if you were a halfway decent looking girl, I was going to, you know, try and get with you. And so, um, basically what happened was, um, through that phase of my life, when I was about 16, 17 years old, there was this girl in my school that she was unreal knockout, like 10 plus. Right. And she used to sit next to me and, um, she, she literally was like, she was like Miss Potomac. Like that was her mm-hmm. thing. And um, they had like a beauty, they had beauty pageants like there. And like today, they would have beauty pageants. It'd be dudes that look like girls, right? They'd be yeah. transvestites and transgenders or whatever you want to, <laughs> trannies. And uh, this is the Pride Podcast. We can say this stuff, right? Yeah. And, uh, but back then it wasn't like that. And uh, so I remember in our uh, world history class, she sat next to me and we became friends and stuff. But she already had a four-year-old little girl hmm. at that point. And uh, I was just like head over heels for this girl, man, head over heels. And she knew it. And so um, we got to, we hooked up, we got together and um, I ended up getting her pregnant. And I remember when she called me and told me what was going on, um, I was like, well, we need to get married. Like, and she's like, "Uh, I have a four year old. This is not, I'm not having this baby either. And I'm like, well, what are you gonna do? And she's like, I'm gonna get an abortion. I was like, okay. And she's like, but you're gonna pay for it. And I'm like, oh. I'm like, how much is that gonna cost? So she wanted 400 bucks. So I gave her 400 bucks for the abortion. And um, that same week, um, a good another good friend of both of ours, this this friend of ours, um, I'll just call her Wendy. Um, I'll change I'll change some names here just for people. And um, this girl, this friend of ours that we had known since middle school, she's she had invited me and uh, and this other this girl that I had gotten pregnant to a small group home Bible study on a Wednesday night. And I remember I was like, uh, I was like, uh, I don't know, I don't know. And she goes, Well, I invited Lynn, and I was like, Okay, well, if Lynn goes, I'll go. Lynn's the girl. So. Uh, I show up at this townhouse and on on this Wednesday night and and uh, Lynn doesn't show up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm standing in the kitchen of this house and all these there's all these like young adults and 
older young like they were like probably the, the oldest person there was like probably like 28 years old the youngest person was probably me at 17 and I had already graduated at this point, just so you know. I didn't really get to that point. I did graduate, but I graduated at 17, so it was a couple months after I graduated. And um, I remember I was uh, standing in the kitchen, and I was like, well, the people are really nice, but, you know, I'll stay. They have snacks, so I'll stay. <laughs> and um, and so then they like, okay, we're going to start the we're gonna start the Bible study or whatever. And so they do worship. They have, like, a, song, a couple songs. And the guy that was playing guitar – that had the guitar, he had like, he looked like he could have been in like Def Leppard or like he had like torn, like acid wash jeans and he had like curly long hair and he was like pretty fit, dude. He was wearing like a tank top and it was like November, you know? And, uh, and I just remember like thinking, who does this guy think he is? Cause at that point I was listening to like punk rock, like, like anything like anti, like, like anything that was not like we're talking like the dead milkman and like agent orange and megadeth and metallica of course those type of bands but then also like exodus and like all of the, anything heavy and punk is what i listened to and my hair was about down the middle of my back at that point too because i was just a skater punk man and uh and so he plays a couple songs, and I was like, he actually had a good voice. I couldn't believe it. You know, I was like, oh, this guy has a great voice, and his name was Rob. And so then he's like, okay, guys, let's open up the Bible. And so they're, they're all opening their Bibles up. I don't have a Bible. I don't know what it is. So I'm, they're talking about this guy, David, and um, how this guy wanted to kill him and all this stuff. And I thought they were talking about a mutual friend of mine and this girl, that in, Wendy, that had invited me to the Bible study, a friend of ours named David. I thought we were talking about this this yeah. guy David and how he was like being chased and somebody wanted him dead and stuff. <laughs> and I was like, "Holy cow, man! I didn't know all this was going on with David." <laughs> and uh, I'm like completely lost, like oblivious. And uh, so uh, I'm just like as green as you can imagine. And um, so then they get to the end and they're like, "Hey, so we're going to take prayer requests. Does anybody have any prayer requests?" And I remember I had just found out that you know. She was pregnant, so I was. My world was a little bit upside down. I was in, not in good place with my mom. You know, my mom was. My sister had taken off to college, and I was there, and I was just not being real helpful around the house or anything like that. You know, I don't. Think, I think she was worried, concerned about me. So there was a lot of tension between my mom and I. And I was like, "Yeah, you can pray for me." And they're like, "Okay, cool." And so they pull a chair and put it in the middle of the room, and I'm like, All right, "What's up with this?" And they're like, "Go ahead and have a seat." I was like, seat where? And they're like, in the chair. <laughs> I was like, okay. But I was totally nervous. You understand? Never been to church. Nothing. Ever. Like, never. Yeah. And they said, the guy, the guy Rob, who had been leading the group, he just looks at me and goes, just close your eyes. We're going to ask God to touch you. That's what his exact words were. And I was like, Okay. So I close my eyes and I'm just sitting there and they all gather around me and they lay their hands upon me, you know, some on my head, some on my shoulders, my back. One of them had their hand on my chest, you know, and they started to pray. And um, they didn't know what was going on with me. There's no way they could have known because they'd never met me. And I know Wendy didn't know what was going on at that point. And they started praying and one of the persons was praying, um, and she just started to say things about my life that were like she knew stuff. It was like knowledge, you know. And uh, 
And at that point, I was like, wow, this is this is crazy. But then I also started to feel, um, I call it my Acts chapter 9 moment. Um, I, I literally had my eyes closed, but I felt a beam of light upon me. And it was warm and beautiful and felt like love I had never felt before, like un- overwhelming. And I started to cry. And they're like, it's okay, you were just praying, it's okay, you know, you can cry. And I felt like a million pounds that were inside of me lift off of me. I don't even remember what they were praying at that point. I just felt like stuff left me. And I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't get it out of my mind. I couldn't, it was the greatest like physical sensation I've ever had in my life. And I had done drugs, lots of different drugs like you, you know, you had, and but it was nothing like that. It was outside of that. It was way beyond that. And it was, super addictive like I wanted that again Mm -hmm. and so I didn't know what had just happened to me I felt like I got hit by a bus I was like on cloud nine I wanted to cry I wanted to laugh I didn't know what was going on you know and so my friend Wendy she takes her Bible and she puts the the little ribbon in the Bible and closes it and says do you have a Bible and I said no I don't have a Bible I don't know what it said and she goes you need to read this and I was like where do I read what do I read and she's like I put the ribbon in just start there and she'd put the ribbon in it the Gospel of John so I took the Bible home with me it was about 11 o'clock at that point I was like just buzzing like literally buzzing and um, I had had this God experience and I didn't know what it was. I couldn't really sleep. I get up. Um, I had to get up at four thirty. Um, I was working in Baltimore at that time, which is like almost two hours away. And um, I was working for my uncle who owned a construction company. And the guy that I would drive in with was my boss. And I would get him hot. We'd get high every morning on the way to work. We'd roll a joint and just smoke it on the, before work. And I thought this is what I needed, you know. And he had a nickname for me. He called me the Rat Man because I used to sell him weed and I called it cheese. So I was the Rat Man, had the cheese, you know, just so stupid, right? It's such an 80s thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> such an 80s thing, right? <laughs> but uh, I remember uh, he picked me up and I jumped in his truck and we're driving and we're, we get a couple minutes away and he's like, you going to roll a joint or what? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. So I pulled out my weed, which... I don't know why I grabbed it, and I looked at it, and I had no desire whatsoever, just none. And it wasn't like a, this is wrong. It was a, I don't need this. And I was like, hey, you can have it, and I just gave it to him. And he's like, what are you talking about? You know, and I was like, just, you can have it. I don't want it. I said, I, I had this experience. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, last night I went to, like, this church thing. He's like, oh, great. And he starts rolling his eyes and stuff, and so I tried to tell him, that God was real. Like, I mean, he's literally the first person I ever shared the gospel with, even though I didn't know the gospel. <laughs> like, I didn't know the gospel, but I knew God was real. And I was like, dude, I God's real. Like, I experienced him last night. I, I don't know what happened, but I don't need drugs anymore. And he's real. Like, he's he's real. Like, like I was the I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was blind, now I see. Like, that was literally my experience. It was Damascus Road experience, Acts chapter 9. So uh, I ended up getting fired from that job, incidentally, which was the best thing that could happen. 
it's only two jobs I've ever been fired from. That was that was one. But what happened was they sent me on a trip that like I was in Baltimore and it was like nine o'clock and they're like, hey, you have to go to Cleveland and pick up a roll of aluminum because we built these high security rooms and welded them and they all had metal and stuff. It was pretty cool. And uh, I was like, Cleveland, I'm like 17 years old. Like, you're going to send me to Cleveland. I don't have a credit card. I don't have anything. They're like, get in this steak body truck, which is a piece of crap, and drive to Cleveland, pick up this roll and bring it back. And uh, you should be back by like 7 or 8 o'clock tonight, and then you can go home. Well, I was screwed because my ride home was my boss. And he didn't. He left right at 3 o'clock. We worked from 7 to 3. He was out the door on the road. So when I would have gotten back, I would have had to stay at the airport where we were working overnight. Well, I never got that far. We were driving out, and I blew the engine up on the truck by accident because I didn't know there was a fifth gear or whatever. So I was just trying to stay up on the highway in four gears, and I had a fifth, right? <laughs> I was 17. I wasn't even supposed to be driving the truck. You had to have, like, a CDL or something right, like right, that. Like, <laughs> I shouldn't even have been driving the thing. And uh, so we ended up in, like, Youngstown, Ohio, on the side of the road. And um, so then we had to walk in the snow. It was me and this other guy. We had to walk in the snow, and we stayed the night in a hotel, that we walked to and the company ended up paying for the hotel and they sent, this is what they did. They brought another truck up on a roll off, exchanged them and then left. So we had to walk back a couple miles in the snow in the morning, get in that new truck. I wasn't allowed to drive, go to Cleveland, pick up the roll of aluminum and then come back, which none of it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, like I can't even imagine, like as a project manager now building houses, I don't know how you would even put this plan together and think that it would work. Like, it's just so ridiculous. So we get back, I get fired. My, my uncle calls me and he's like, Hey man, you blew up an engine on a truck. Um, you didn't get the, the aluminum, you know, you know, people are, and I was telling people about Jesus like crazy. Right. And um, so I get fired. So I don't know what I'm going to do. So Wendy, the girl that gave me the Bible, her dad owned a construction company too. He built houses. And he's like, hey, I need help. I need a laborer. So I ended up getting hired by him. Her older brother, who was, he was like three or four years older. He was a, a believer. He was married. He just got married. He decides to, he's going to disciple me. So I'm reading in the book of John, finally, after a couple weeks, you know, I remember the Bible, you know, and um, I had been going to church here and there, like on Sundays and stuff. Um, it was pretty radical. It was a charismatic church that we were at. And um, it was an experience almost every time it, I had to cry and and I was chasing this experience. And um, I got into John chapter three with the with Nicodemus and Nicodemus was speaking to Jesus in John chapter three. And, and Jesus is trying to tell this teacher of the law, like how, what it means to, to truly live for God. And he says, you can't do this. You need to be born again. You need to be born both of the water and of the spirit. And Nicodemus was confused by that. And Jesus in like kind of frustration just looks at him and he just goes, unless you be born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. And when I read those words in John 3, I think it was John 3, 3, if I'm not mistaken. <gasps> 33. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I remember my uh, the conviction that fell over me. And I'm like, am I, am I born again? Am I born again? So I run to the phone and I call my friend Wendy who had given me the Bible. We were starting to become closer friends now. And she's, she basically said, I said, like, Wendy, am I born again? Am I born again? Because I want to go to heaven. I don't know if I'm born again. And, she, and this is like a month after being saved, right? right? Yeah. And uh, she's like, 
well, I don't know. She goes, well, we can pray right now. And so on the phone, we prayed. And that was the moment where I think it was like in my mind solidified. Now, I think I was a new creation born again on that Wednesday night in November of 1988, where, where the Holy Spirit fell upon me and things were removed from me. And I think I was born as a new creation because I think I was delivered because I never did drugs again after that. Um, now, a lot of people are wondering about this girl with the abortion, right? And um, so, and she's going to she's going to come function back into my story here a little bit later on. And I hope I, you know, go too long on this, but I went an hour forty five. You can go. Okay. All right. Cool. I just don't want to bore any anybody. But uh, so, this girl Lynn um, was going to get this abortion. She had the money, and between the time I gave her the money. I got so after I gave her the money, I get saved, and I still didn't really think much about it, to be honest with you. Um, and I know that's hard for some people to understand, but it just, I just didn't. And Wendy's mom was talking to me, and Wendy's, you know, they basically took me in as like a family. Like that, her her dad was my boss; he owned the company, and and he was a hard man to work for. But he taught me the value of hard work. He really did. At seventeen, like I hadn't really worked hard as an individual and he did like I was digging ditches and sweeping up houses and you know filling up a truck full of lumber and just doing the hard work I was a laborer you know mm -hmm. and the goal was that I would learn how to build houses like myself so uh her his mom her mom Wendy's mom was just a sweet woman she just loved the lord and I remember um, the office for the company was in their house and I would have to go to the office all the time in the middle of the day or whatever. And I would hear her playing her piano, just worshiping God. And, um, she ended up giving me my first Bible that I got to keep. And, um, it was a large print NIV, 1984 NIV, large print. I still have the Bible. It's tore up to all get, get up, but, um, I still have it and I will keep that until I die. But I remember she came down to the office one day when I was in there doing something, and she was like, hey, what's going on, Turner? And I was like, hey, how are you? And she goes, um, hey, I wanted to invite you to come to this prayer meeting or whatever, you know, and she would always try to get me involved. And um, and then she's like, how are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm doing okay. I was like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of sad. I, Lynn and I aren't working out. And, you know, I, I said, but I love that I'm now born again. And I said, but, you know, she's going to get – she was going to get the abortion, so it's going to be okay. And she's like, what? <laughs> I was like, like, so this is how innocent I was. I mean, yeah. literally just ignorant. I wasn't innocent. I was ignorant. And she's like, Turner, that's that's murder. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, that's a, that baby is a lot. That's a baby that God chose to have. And she, she was very gracious but very firm on that. So then I'm like, oh, I'm like, I have to, I have to stop her. I have to stop her. So I chase her down, track her down. She, it was too late. So she had gotten the abortion. And, um, you know, that was really hard for me. That was um, that was really hard. And uh, for a long time, I had a lot of guilt about that. And I still do uh, at some level. But um, the Lord has given me grace. And um, I even felt guilty when I had our first child once I finally got married, you know. But uh, I really was like head over heels for that girl. And... Uh, you know, I didn't know it, but it wasn't real love. You know, it just wasn't. And um, so, um, so I ended up, you know, <laughs> continuing to go to church and work. And we used to have two services on Sunday morning. 
And I can remember that I was pretty outspoken with my faith when I got saved. I was very, like, number one, I would I couldn't stop reading the Bible. Um, once I started reading the Bible, it was like an addiction, man. I couldn't stop. And um, I would share what I learned with anybody that would listen. Like, it was just life to me, man. Like, I was like, I felt like I had discovered the meaning. I mean, I did, the meaning of life. Like, I felt like this is... If you could just get what I have, you would feel the same way and you would be so content and full of peace and like you would understand. And I didn't understand that it was God's spirit that does the work in people, but I remember I would like try and talk people into it and like all this stuff. And uh, it, all my friends were like, they were beginning, like all my skater friends and stuff, they were like, we're, we can't hang out with you anymore, man. All you do is talk about Jesus and like, you don't smoke weed, you don't do, you don't drink anymore. Like, you're not even fun to be around. And, um, like, you don't even want to listen to the music we listen to and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I was in a really hard spot because I knew I wasn't supposed to be listening to, like, Iron Maiden and Megadeth, and, you know, Sex Pistols. I, I knew I wasn't supposed to be listening to that. But I could not handle Sandy Patty and Amy Grant and, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, Carmen. <laughs> With some of these guys. Oh, the Christian. Yeah, yeah. People don't even know. Some of these people don't even know these artists, right? That, that was like 1988, man. That was like when that was what we had. And then I finally discovered there was like this underground current of like heavy metal, Christian heavy metal. And there was this band called um, Deliverance. And um, they were so good, man, like for the day. And there's another band called Crucified. I still listen to Crucified to this day because they were just so good. Like to me, they were so good. Um, the production's horrible. You can still find them. Yeah. Um, and then I we went to this Christian festival in, in Chicago called uh, Cornerstone Festival. Mm-hmm. And I was invited to be on the skate team. They had a half pipe there. So there was a couple Christians pro skaters, and I got to hang with them for the week and skate. And, oh, man, it was like God was just, like, comforting me. Like, he was like, yeah, your world, I've got other stuff for you, you know? And it was just, like, so uh, for me just to be able to skate with Christians and, like, totally encouraging one another. There was no competitive nature about it all. So I would, like, all week long, like, I'd go to the metal tent and I'd, like, hear – the crucified play and i'd just be like in the pit and then i'd go over to the ramp and i would like skate you know and uh and i would just get all my aggro out and stuff you know it was just so great you know and um i met all these really amazing christians at that point and um you know artists musicians like i was somehow like god just allowed me to be backstage and allowed me to be on the skate team and like i didn't orchestrate any of it it was just it happened like i, I remember when i walked up to the ramp with my skate stuff when we got to the festival and there was like no ropes or anything and I was like, Oh cool. So I just started skating. I was like, This is great. It's like a Christian festival. I'm gonna skate all week. It's a really good ramp. It was big. It was like it was probably like forty feet long. It was it was probably twelve feet hot. It had like a foot of vert. It was like a sweet ramp. And um the guy that was coordinating it came over and he's like, Hey, um, you're not supposed to be skating here and I was like, Oh, really? I'm so sorry. I had no idea And he's like, But you're you're good. You're not like some punk kid and I was like, Yeah, I was like um, I can help out whatever you need. Like, what are you, do you need help? Like I can stand on the platform, whatever. And he's like, Oh, well you can go ahead and skate for a while. That's fine. I don't care. And he just let me stay. 
And then I was just like, when they were doing like the demos, when all the crowds would come around and they had like the guy with the microphone and this is so-and-so, he's going to do a Christ air and all. I, I was like up there with <laughs> Is that them. all they did was Christ air? <laughs> that's, that's all they did was the Christ air. <laughs> <laughs> they stole it from Christian Asoy, you know. But uh, but yeah, so I, um, I, the Lord was really gracious with me when I first got saved and he he put me in some things, but I was in love with the Bible. That was the one thing. And we'd go to small groups on Wednesday nights. I'd continue to go to that small group and um, eventually ended up leading a small group um, for the church at that point. One Sunday morning, I walked into church for the early service and I was sitting there. We had wor- just finished worship and I was sitting down and the pastor was walking up. He sat on the front row and he would walk up to the to the podium and I heard a voice say, you will do that, like an audible voice. And I looked around, and there was nobody around me. Like, I looked behind me, I looked around, and there was no one there. And I was like, you will do that. I was like, what in the world, man? So um, remember I was telling you about Wendy's brother discipling me. So we were driving to work, and I was like, man, something happened weird yesterday in church. He's like, what's up? I was like, I heard a voice say, you will do that. He's like, what do you mean? So I explained it to him. He goes, oh, yeah, you're going to be a preacher. And I was like, what? He goes, yeah, you're going to be a preacher. He goes, Pastor Jim's a preacher. You're going to be a preacher. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to be a preacher. And uh, so I didn't know what that meant. I just thought I was going to stand in front of people and preach the gospel or whatever, you know, teach teach the Bible. So um, I went to my pastor. And now you remember, I had long hair. I was a punk I had my I had everything pierced. Both ears, my nose, my nipple, everything was pierced, right? So crazy. <laughs> it's a crazy, right? And uh so I go to him and I'm like, Pastor Jim, um, I think the Lord's calling me to be a pastor to do what you do. And this is the heartbreaking thing. He looks at me and he shook his head and he laughed and he goes, You are not called to be a pastor. And it just deflated me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Man. It's like, well, what am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? And um, I can remember just feeling like so defeated. And so um, I remember I wrestled with that for a while. And um, I don't know why he said it. I don't know what led him to say that um, to this day. And I, I'll never be able to ask him. He's died. Unfortunately, he's with the Lord. Uh, well, fortunately for him, he's with the Lord. But um, he died. And I ended up leaving that church for a couple of different reasons. They were very charismatic, as I mentioned before, and right around that time um, in the 90s, early 90s, the Toronto, something called the Toronto Blessing had come about. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. And what was happening is there was a series of vineyard churches. We were a vineyard church. There was a series of vineyard Christian fellowship churches in Toronto area that were experiencing what they were calling an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and holy laughter and falling out and all of these really, really um, abnormal, not scriptural um, events were happening. And so our church in Virginia sent two of our elders up to Toronto to spend a week up there and to bring back the Toronto blessing. Mm-hmm. And this is a funny story, so you're going to laugh. This is, my wife loves this story. So I remember I was always there for worship. I loved worship. I loved music. And uh, I was I was standing in worship. My eyes closed. My hands were raised. And it was like between songs. They would always do like a song, and then between the songs, they would have like uh, these like nondescript songs that would just be 
spontaneous, you know, and they would like the worship leader would just sing. Like, and... <laughs> no, it wasn't more. It wasn't like Creed or anything, but it was like uh, it was more like um, he would speak prophetically, mm. like sing prophetically, like um, not like declarations of like "Thus saith the Lord," but it was more of like you know more declarations of God. Jesus is King. Yeah, like your, your love is so good. Your yeah. love, you know, you fill us, whatever, you know. And it was just like an interlude into this next song or whatever. Like there was never like a distinction of an end of a song, and um, it was just a way that worship was. Well, I remember I was standing there with my with my arms raised, and I hear this. Like someone running, and all of a sudden, right by me, and like literally, it was I was on the end, right next to the middle aisle, and I felt like even my shirt move and stuff, right, you know, and uh, and I open my eyes, and there's this dude running past me, and he gets to the front in front of the stage, and he turns around, and he does, he's like his legs are spread, and he's like his hands make these paw symbols, and like a if you can imagine like a bear claw, like, and he like pushes his hands down and he's like like a lion right and he starts roaring like a lion and and he's like the lion of judah (laughs) and he starts he starts speaking have you ever seen the uh the meme with spongebob and he's like i'm gonna head out like yeah, you know, yeah. he's like that was exactly me, but you yeah. know, nineteen ninety or whatever it was, and uh, I was like, that's when I knew, okay, this church is that's off. Like, <laughs> yeah, they, I, they're acting like lions now, and I'm not gonna be about that. I'm just not gonna be about that, you know. And it wasn't scriptural. It wasn't biblical. It was totally wait. <laughs> that's not <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, if you're in a church where people are roaring like lions, get. <laughs> out man get out now you're they're not it's not scriptural so uh i mean so then i'm like what do i do so uh what had happened was is i had been uh applying to go to a school of ministry that was a part of keith green's ministry keith green was a was a uh one of the he was probably the first christian music artist and um he was like uh from california for david well yeah good point good point oh uh, no he was well david wasn't a christian yeah, think think yeah, about that for a minute. Think me, about that for a minute. Yeah, everybody's like, "What, heretic?" Um, but uh, but anyways, he uh, Keith Green had this amazing ministry. He ended up dying in a plane crash, and um, he had started a, a missionary school in Texas, and they had a printing facility, and they would print tracks for Jesus in different languages, and then they would go on mission trips, and they'd plant churches, and so it was called Last Days Ministries. That was the name of the ministry, and so I got accepted to be in their very last class as Last Days Ministries, and it was going to be taken over by a group called Youth with a Mission, YWAM. So I went through their school of ministry for three months, and then we went to Russia in 1993, and they had just opened up from communism. And I stayed a month in Russia. We planted a church there, and uh, we had about 2,000 people in the church after a month. Um, and I was pushed into youth ministry. So I was uh, I started a youth um, group and we had in three services that we did while I was there we had over 250 kids get saved where it was just like unbelievable revival happening in Russia they had been closed off for over 70 years it was just a crazy time so uh, I was leading worship and I was preaching and I was like maybe this is what that voice meant you know and so I come back from Russia and they offered me a spot on staff 
The problem was is you had to be supported by people because you, you literally couldn't have a job because you're constantly leaving the country and you're helping lead these teams. I really wanted to do it, but I prayed about it, and the Lord just did not did not put that in me. So I come back to Virginia, and um, I, you know, I wasn't going to go to that church I was at, and um, I find out that a good friend of mine, his dad was starting a new church in about 30 minutes away from where I was living. And so him and I became roommates, and um, I end up introducing him to my sister. He marries my sister, <laughs> and um, I was a part of this church plant down in a place called Fredericksburg, Virginia. Uh, the church is no longer to, there, unfortunately. It was called Harvest, and um, that's where I really got to preach. Like um, I was preaching on probably two to three Sundays a month. Um, I started a youth ministry there as well. And um, we would meet on Saturday mornings, and we had something that was called the fish market. And so this is gonna, this is now I've got to go. I got to remember Lynn, the girl that I got pregnant. Mm-hmm. So I've got to bring us back to that. Okay. So at this time now, it's, I'm older, and um, it's 1995, I think. And uh, this new church that we're in, it was like all 20-somethings, young couples, but no single people. I was literally like the only single person there, single, unmarried person. And uh, there was like no chance I was going to find a wife or anything. And so we had started this thing called the Fish Market. And the Fish Market was a Friday, every other Friday night, we would invite, after the football games, we'd invite all the kids to come and hang out at our church, and we would do concerts. And I would have bands come in. And then I would like, we would have the band play and then I would preach the gospel and then we would give them pizza and it would be like 10 bucks, all you can eat pizza. And we had a coffee bar there as well. This is before coffee was like really becoming a big thing. And it was so packed that our church got the fire marshal called and they were like, you can't, you can't keep doing this. There's too many kids, but we were taking kids. We were getting all these complaints because the kids were going to Taco Bell and McDonald's parking lot and they were staying there at all hours of the night. So we were getting them to come to our place. I ended up sharing the gospel. I know one kid named Ben who got saved. I discipled him. Um, but I think about 12 kids total came to the Lord in about a year. And um, one of these, so I'm so I'm single, and I'm like longing to be married. I'm so lonely, um, just feeling like, man, did I screw up when I got that girl pregnant? Is God punishing me? Like there's all these things that going through your head, you know, and I was just trying to, keep working and keep doing the ministry. And um, and I think some of it might have been even an attack. You know, the enemy didn't want me to do what I was doing, so he was trying to discourage me. But I remember um, I remember distinctly fe- praying about it and feeling like the Lord had work to do with me that before he could bring me my wife. And um, so I was remember I was I remember praying and I woke up one night in the I couldn't I was so it was such a weird time. I, by the way, too, I should mention, I started dating this girl for like three years. Um, we were very pure. We never anything. But she ended up breaking up with me. Um, side note, I ended up going to Australia for a job. That's why she broke up with me because I got this opportunity to go to Australia. She thought I was going to marry her. And then I was like, the, like the night before I left, I like was like, hey, let's get married. And she's like, you're out of your mind. You're so ridiculous. So she ended up doing the smart thing and breaking up with me. And so that was on top of that. So um, I was like, man, I did everything right. I did everything the opposite I did with this girl, Lynn. Why, you know, and uh, you think God owes you something or whatever. So I remember I was real distraught, lonely, 
like, you know, there's only so much skateboarding you can do, you know, and there's only so much guitar you can play, you know, before you just, like, it's not enough, right? It's like, I need a person. And I remember I was sleeping on the couch. I couldn't even sleep in my room because we had this fish tank. I was with a bunch of single dudes in this house, and um, we were renting this house on a farm, and uh, we had a fish tank, and it was we had, like, these exotic fish. Don't ask me why. I don't know why. We just had exotic fish. I'd sit in the beanbag, and I would just watch them, you know. So I was laying on the couch, and I was just like, I woke up, and it was a peaceful place for me to sleep. And I remember I heard the voice again of the Lord, and um, he said, Isaiah 62. And and it was like clear as day, Isaiah 62. And I was like, oh, man. So I grabbed my Bible. I opened it up to Isaiah 62, and I literally didn't even have to look. I just opened my eyes and looked at it, and this is what I read. You will no longer, uh, no longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hezvapha and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. And I remember I was like feeling like I've been forgotten, rejected, whatever you want to call it. And um, I was just crying out to the Lord and, and he gave me this perfect verse and by the way, the the word um, he says Beulah and Hesphaba, both of those mean married. So, you know, the Lord was telling me, you know, like you're gonna be married. It's gonna happen. Like I, that's how I took it. So it gave me great hope. But I still knew there was stuff the Lord needed to finish. And so um, this brings us back to this girl Lynn. So a buddy of mine worked for Giant Food. It's a grocery store out here in the East Coast, and. Um, he was a manager, and he was working in Arlington, which is pretty far from where we lived at that time, where I lived at that time. And um, he was like, hey, dude, I've been working, covering for another manager, and I ran into Lynn. He, he This guy goes to my church, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, she, I gave her your number. She wants to talk to you. And I was like, oh, man, dude. And I'm like, I was like, well, maybe God's going to work this all out after all, mm-hmm. you know? And so I started to pray, you know, before I ever called her or anything. And um, and I remember the Lord was like, you need to ask her for forgiveness. I was like, okay. So I call her up and I'm like, hey, can we grab lunch or something? And she's like, yeah, I would love to grab lunch. So we go to, I meet her for lunch. And then um, it was just like awkward restaurant to talk about what I wanted to talk about. So she, I was like, hey, let's take a walk. And she's like, well, I actually live like right down the street. Let's just go back to my house. I like, okay, cool. We'll go back to your house. So this is how naive I was, right? So we go back to her house. She sits next to me. And I'm like, hey, Lynn, I just need to tell you something. I need to talk to you because um, what I did was wrong. And um, I should have never put you in that position. I shouldn't have treated you that way. You deserve better than that. And um, I need you to forgive me for causing the pain, the trauma, and everything that came with it, you know, and I don't even remember exactly what I said, but she started to cry, and I started to cry, and she says, of course, I forgive you, I forgive you, you know, and um, and uh, it was great, we hugged and everything, but then she wanted to kiss and stuff, and I was like, dude, this, I was like, Lynn, you need, you need to know Jesus, like, you, you need to know Jesus, like, I'm not gonna marry anybody that doesn't know Jesus, right? And so that then she like, as soon as you mentioned Jesus, right, someone's not interested, they're going to just, so she just kind of pulled away or whatever, you know, and, um, but I got closure. So the Lord allowed me to close that part of, like, I literally got to ask her to forgive me, Mm -hmm. which I never thought I would get a chance to do, you know, and um, 
And I think what happened was, is there was some, I don't know what, I don't know. I don't, I can't, I could speculate and say it was a shift in the spirit, you know, and something unleashed and whatever. All I know is I obeyed what the Lord told me to do, which was to ask her to forgive me. Um, so then back to the fish market. So I have these bands coming in on Friday nights. Well, I had been playing in a band as well. And one of the bands that we played with on 4th of July on the mall in D.C., um, this Christian, we, it was a Christian band we found out. I was like, oh, give me your contact. I want you to come play at our fish market coffee house thing. And he's like, okay, cool. So he comes down to play in one of our things, and um, we're getting all set up and everything. And he has he was in um, Loudoun County, where he lived, so it was pretty far. And he brought a whole his like whole youth group because he was like a worship leader. He brought like his whole youth group from this church called Christian Fellowship Church. And so there was like fifty people like before the doors open, like standing outside. This is before it got shut down, and I was so excited. I'm like, man, this is great. This is crazy, and. Uh, and so this girl walked in, and she was older. She wasn't a youth. She wasn't like in the youth group. She was older. And I saw her, and I remember I was standing next to this guy who was the lead singer of this band that I invited down. And I was like, who is that? <laughs> and he goes, oh, that's Jen. She's, you don't want her. She's, she's not, she's psycho. I mean, that was literally what he said. But what I didn't know was that she was off and on with the drummer of that band who was literally like five feet behind me. Mm -hmm. And he was trying to like be cool with the drummer because it was like one of his best friends. Um, and so so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to find out who this girl is, right? So we had this, this is before computer, cell phone. We I think cell phones were just coming around, but there was no like, it wasn't like today at all. So I walked up to her. And during the intermission, and I had this, we had this paper sign-up book, and I still have it to this day. And I looked, she was sitting with like three or four other girls, and I was like, hey, uh, did you guys sign up for the mailing list so you can know what's going on here? And, and they were all like, yeah, we signed up. I was like, okay. And I looked right at Jen, I was like, prove it. And I like plopped the book down, and I was like, show me where you signed your name. And so she opened it up, and she showed me, and I was like, cool. And I went back, and I put a star next to her name. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, I kind of hovered around the table for the rest of the night and did whatever, you know, and uh, and then they left. So then I was still friends with this guy, the lead singer guy, and so I kept talking to him and stuff, and um, I ended up being in a band with him for a while, which was really cool. And uh, so he he kept trying to discourage me, and it's because of his drummer, right, because she was off and on with his drummer. Like they were, like, they'd get in fights and they'd break up, and he was just whatever, you know. And... Uh, so I called her, and uh, I was like, hey, "I was like, hey, can would you get dinner with me?" And um, she she was like so impressed that I would even call her because like guys just don't do that anymore. And anymore, anymore, they just. What was this in ninety five? <laughs> it was ninety five, yeah. <laughs> Still don't. So we she was so what I found out eventually was that she was trying to get out of the date the whole week. She was like, "I I got to get out of this date. I got to get out of this date." But man, I was like, this girl had me at like. The minute I saw her, like, literally, I was, like, fighting the thoughts of, like, this is going to be my wife. I'm going to have kids. Like, I had to, I had to like, push those thoughts away, right, because I was going to get myself way over my head. And uh, so she, she was trying to get out of it the whole week. She was trying to figure out a way to get out of it. And she said every time she'd pray, the Lord was like, give him a chance. That was all she, that was all she kept hearing. And so, uh, so we end up going to dinner. We go to this Thai restaurant. And uh, she had never had Thai food before. So that was cool. So I got to, you know, expose her to some Thai food. 
she didn't get sick. We didn't get sick, so that was great. So then we finished dinner, and she's like, you want to get coffee? And I was like, yeah, let's get coffee. She goes, well, you can just jump in my car. So I drove her car, and we went to this restaurant called Clyde's in Reston, and we closed down the restaurant. We had coffee and dessert, and uh, we talked. And in that conversation time, I knew I knew that I knew. And I not only did I know that I know, I knew that I was head over heels. Like, I couldn't stop thinking about her. Um, and so... You know, um, we ended up getting serious. I ended up asking her to marry me. She said yes, and now 26 years later we've been married. So that's the good part of the story. Um, but we met and married in less than a year. So it was like exactly like 11 months or something like that when, when we were married. And um, so it was a pretty fast-moving thing. She was ready to be married. I was ready to be married. Um, we ended up living down in uh, Fredericksburg area where we were planning this church and for about a year. And then things were just starting to go south with the leadership team there. The money wasn't there. It was really tough. We, we were bouncing in and out of locations. We went from a high school to a storefront to back to the high school. We, it was just really hard to get traction. And um, and I think um, I think there were some things we could have done better, just you know, looking back on it, obviously. So we ended up move, um, moving. We were both working pretty far away. We ended up moving about an hour north of where we were, back closer to Northern Virginia, so we could be closer to our jobs. And we ended up attending um, a church that's very famous called McLean Bible. And we were at McLean Bible because my wife's grandmother was actually a founding member of McLean Bible. And uh, it used to meet in the basement of her house. David Platt is now the pastor of McLean Bible. But at that time, it was a man by the name of Lon Solomon, who's an amazing, amazing pastor. And uh, he that church grew... And it was like, it was growing like crazy at that time. And um, they bought this land and they built this $30 million facility. It was like eight to 10,000 people in the church. It was just insane, like every service. And it was just so much happening. People getting saved, people getting baptized. It was really a great time to be there. We were there for about five years. And I remember one Sunday morning, uh, we walked in and I wasn't really doing much in terms of that, I was kind of working my job. My wife and I were—we had bought a house at this point. We were pregnant. We had a, we had actually had Maggie, our oldest, at that point. And um, I remember us standing in the back, and right after worship, when the pastor was coming back out off the front row, I heard, "How long will you warm a pew?" <laughs> and you know, they used to give all of these. You know, in a big church like that, every time uh, there's a worship service, they have announcements, and they're always like, we need volunteers for this, we need volunteers for that. Well, at that time, also, I don't know if I'd mentioned, but I had been playing bass in a band touring. We had been touring, and um, it was a big, it was a good, it was a gig, like, it was a good deal. Like, um, we were playing, like, over 100 shows a year. We opened up for bands like The Verve Pipe, or, I mean, The Verve, the, uh, we opened up for Leonard Skinnerd, um, Jefferson Airplane, um, carbon leaf. So we had played a bunch of decent, you know, we, a lot of, we were playing a lot and we were, we had a record deal on the table with DreamWorks that we were contemplating. Um, but, and so I was a good accomplished bass player. And I remember they were like, we need worship people. And they had this thing called frontline, which was their young adults thing. And it was like, like they had like two services on Sunday nights for it. And it was like thousands of people. And, it was just incredible, right? A lot of momentum, really cool experience. But I, so I applied to be a bass player. I mean, the worship music is like three chords. 
and I was playing like Celtic rock music, right? I'm like playing bass lines that would keep up with a bagpipe, right? You know, like with melody of a bagpipe. They weren't simple stuff. And uh, they they never called me back. Like they would never call me. And so then I was like, oh, maybe I'll lead a small group. We had a we had a small group at our house of some friends of ours that I was just leading. And I was like, hey, you know, maybe I want to get the small group underneath their leadership, you know, and, and be a part of their small groups. And I call them and they're like, oh, um, you have co-ed. I'm like, well, but my wife and I are married. Like, it's not like we're not like, and they're like, oh, you can only do, uh, um, you can only do, um, uh, uh, you can only do, um, you there? Okay, cool. Sorry, I had to push a button. You can only do, uh, like gender, like the same gender, like, you know, and I'm like, I wonder how they do that now. But uh, anyways, so I was like, you're not going to let this Bible study that has like 12 people that's been going on for like three years to just be, and they're like, no, unless you want to like break it up. And I was like, we don't want to break it up. Like, this is, we're doing, like we're having a good Bible study. It's like great. We have a community. So then I was kind of put off. I'm like, they beg for people to play on the worship. They won't even call me back. They won't let my small group on. I was frustrated. I was like, we're, we're not supposed to be here, hon. Let's go to a church where they're going to use us. So we ended up go, going to a church that we had heard about. I was doing all this research on the internet, trying to find a good church, and um, and so I found this church in Leesburg, Virginia, and I was like, it was fairly new; it had been around for a couple of years. And um, I was like, let's go check this church out. And so we go. They were they were meeting um, in an old. Um, it was a storefront, and um, and it was called Cornerstone Chapel, and there was probably about seven hundred people in the church. So it wasn't like the mega church, but it wasn't some tiny little thing, mm-hmm. you know, at that time. And uh, this is like 2003. And we end up um, going there. And so like the second week I'm there, I go up to the worship pastor and I was like, hey, I play bass. Do you ever need help? He goes, oh my gosh, we need a bass player so bad. Can you come Thursday to rehearsal? And I was like, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I go to, I sit in at rehearsal and he's like, you're playing Sunday, okay? He goes, be here at seven. And I was like, Okay. And so, like I, like I said, worship music's not complicated, on, for, especially for a bass player. Yeah. So um, I ended up playing bass like every Sunday or every other Sunday. It was great. I found like a little bit of purpose. And then um, one day they came up to me and uh, they approached me and they said, hey, we have been praying and people have been talking about you. Um, your name came up a couple times. We need a middle school youth pastor. Would you be willing to accept that role? And I didn't know what that meant. But at the same time when that happened, my wife and I had been praying about maybe going to Bible college and finishing, getting a degree so that I could become a pastor because I knew I was called. Like I was never satisfied with the jobs I was doing. I had my own business at that point. And um, so uh, I prayed about it and I felt like I was supposed to do it. So I sold my business. And I went to go work at the church, and um, they ordained me in 2005, and I stayed as a pastor at Cornerstone until 2017. So what is that, 12, 15 years, 12 years, whatever that is. Yeah. So, um, so I was a pastor there, and um, in that time, they, I was a middle school pastor. We, we didn't have a middle school group, so we started a middle school group. I was a middle school pastor for, I think, seven years, seven or eight years. And then I was kind of feeling done with that, you know, like, and there's only so many middle school, you know, but I was like, people were getting saved, kids were getting saved. I was teaching the Bible. I was really loving it. 
And then um, I was like, hey, I think I should do, we should start a young adult group here, college group. And the pastor thought about it for a while, and he's like, oh, yeah, okay, we can maybe do that. I think he had other people in mind, but um, so we launched that. I did that for nine years, and uh, we uh, it was great. Like, it, it grew from, like, 20 to, like, 250 young adults in a matter of, like, a year and a half, <clears throat> two years maybe. In the meantime, the church was exploding. We ended up having a built. It was the same thing that was going on with McLean when we started going there. Like we were too many services. We were having like five. We had a Wednesday night service, a Saturday night service. We had three Sunday services. It was crazy, right? Um, and then I had my Monday night young adults and camps and retreats and men's retreats and just like you're just. It was just like you're nonstop. Like um, a church like that just has so much going on. And um, we grew to the point of about 8,000 people. We had about 14 pastors on staff. And I was one of the only pastors that was permitted to teach for the main pastor when he was not there. And um, and so that was really a fulfillment of God when he spoke to me way back in 1989 of, you will do this, <laughs> you know? And that those words echoed in my mind a lot, you know? So I owe a lot of gratitude for Cornerstone gave me an opportunity and being such a solid church of teaching the Bible. Um, they were part of the Calvary Chapel movement. And um, so, you know, I, I still feel like there's a lot of good things about the Calvary Chapel churches, there, although there's been some splits and some things that have happened ever since Chuck Smith died. He was the founder of Calvary Chapel. And um, so anyways, I taught the Bible until, you know, with them and did ministry with them. And, you know, that's where I met you, Rosie, through the Young Adults Group. And you can you can correct me if I'm wrong. It, there was a lot of energy. There was a lot of cool mm-hmm. things happening. Um, and uh, what's that? There was a couple people dancing up in the <laughs> in the worship. Yeah. No, there was not. Yeah. Wait, where is that one kid that always used to do backflips? What are you talking? <laughs> Shut up! Dude. I swear to God, there was no way. I doing, swear, you were I, lying through I, your teeth. Remember, at young adults, a guy doing backflips. Yes. I never remember hearing. I'll about tell that. you after, but. You'll remember. That's saying, you're lying. I right swear. Now. Nobody was doing backflips. It was a much more <laughs> reverent worship service than that. I would never let that happen. I would. That's 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 not orderly worship, man. I'm not lying, dude. No, come on. All right, whatever. Maybe it happened once. It happened like once or twice. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't a regular then. No. Okay. He was off his meds. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, it was a joke. Oh, oh, is it just, see, I told no, no, you. No, no, well, I, this was a joke. I didn't mean I to derail it that okay, much. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, no, no roaring. No, no roaring. No roaring, right, right. Only the Holy Spirit. But um, anyway, so uh, through this time period, um, I was trying to discern. Um, I had had a couple. So, so like I always try and heed the, the leading of God's Holy Spirit. And one of the ways that God's in the past of my life has spoken to me was through sending someone into my life who would say, hey, man, I had a dream, or hey, um, I really feel like I need to tell you this. I don't know why, but boom. And um, I had, like, in the course of, like, a year, like, three different people tell me that I, that they saw me in a dream or whatever of being a pastor of a church, starting a church. So um, I was starting to pray about that and I was talking to a couple people about it and one of the pastors on staff with us at that time um, had been a lead pastor of a church in Idaho 
And um, he was a cool guy. I really liked this guy a lot. And um, he, one of his, in fact, if you've ever read the book This Present Darkness or mm-hmm. Piercing the Darkness by Frank Peretti, Frank Peretti was in his church. Yeah. And um, and uh, so I asked him, I was like, hey, what were the things that God was showing you when you were like trying to discern whether or not you were supposed to start a church? Because he actually worked on staff at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa with Chuck Smith. Like he got saved through that ministry. He was an older guy. And... And so we talked about it and he prayed with me. And then like he went out of my office and went right to the lead pastor's office and said, Turner's going to leave and go plant a church, which was not the case. That was not what was happening. So that put me on the radar with my pastor in a way that I you don't want to be. And so he came to me and I, he was like, hey, so you, when are you, where are you going? What are you doing? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, I haven't. Like my wife and I have been having settled this out yet, but I'm trying to discern if, if this is even what God's doing, and He just didn't believe me. And He's like, "Where would you go?" And I was like, "I, I don't know. I'd go to Berryville. I just named a town, you know, which was, you know, 20 miles away or whatever." He goes, "It's too close. You can't go there." I was like, "Well, I live in Round Hill. I'm not going to move. Like, whatever, you know, I'm not going to move to go to this other place." And uh, I mean, I hadn't even thought. It was like I felt pressure, and He was very, very confrontational about this like he really was and it made me nervous because this guy held a lot of authority a big church he was his personality was one that was very um kind of scary you know you didn't want to get on his bad side and i'd been on staff for like 16 15 16 years at this point like i it wasn't like i was new to this guy and i'm not an insecure person so um that put me on his radar in a in a, in a bad in a negative way so um ended up uh my wife and I talked about it. She just did not feel that was in the cards. She's like, I just don't think I could handle that now. Our kids were at a certain age where it was just, we are like in the thick of it. And I was really blessed at the job that I had. The The pay finally came to a place where I could raise my family in a, an expensive county. I was definitely earning it. I was working hard. Um, but uh, so we ended up just tabling it. We didn't we weren't going to do it. Like, you know, we just felt like, okay, well, if God wants it to happen, it's just going to happen. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make it happen. And it just wasn't enough for the lead pastor. He just, he stopped asking me to preach for him. Um, He was like literally looking for anything in my life or in the ministry to be critical. I mean, we were, our young adult ministry was just, it was just banging. I mean, it was just rocking and rolling. And he just, it just, no, I would get no encouragement from him. Never, no recognition of like, hey man, it's really good. I love to see what's happening. I love the fruit that's happening. That we had small groups. We were doing missions trips, man. We were, I mean, we were trying to- It was a church. Well, we were trying to avoid, I was trying to avoid becoming a church within a church, but but when you get community Mm -hmm. in a big church like that, um, people- are gonna they're gonna gravitate towards smaller groups where they feel like minded. They just are, you know. And um, but, anyways, you know, um, it just and I ended up actually getting fired from that church, and um, it came down to a situation which is really unfortunate. Um, basically, they took my admin away from me, and they replaced it with another admin that had almost no experience. She was like a friend of the daughter of the of the pastor. She had come through my youth group. I knew her. I've known her whole life. She's a sweet girl, but she just didn't have a lot of experience. And you know, my responsibilities were pretty 
big in the church. I mean, I had a big ministry that I was overseeing, and then I also was overseeing the new believers and the baptisms. And so, um, you know, we were baptizing 200 people a year easily, and um, it was a big involvement. There was contracts involved. We had to rent out the local rec center, and um, there was just a lot involved and very technical. And, you know, I'm not an admin-minded person, so I needed somebody strong in that side of things to, to you know, pick up the loose ends and think ahead of it and make it easy for me to, to be able to do the ministry stuff. And she just wasn't. So I remember we did a baptism, and I had been working for months on trying to move it on site to where we had a, like a mobile baptism thing, and uh, we had this new building that was thirty million dollars. Was supposed to have a baptism facility, you know, uh, baptismal, mm-hmm. but we ended up scratching it because we didn't really like the layout of the design of the building, whatever. And uh, so I was working towards. I literally put a pamphlet together of like all these options was presenting them to the board and to the pastor, the main pastor, the lead pastor. And um, they they end up changing my admin, and then we had a baptism at the old place at the rec center, and it was kind of a cluster. It was a bit of a mess. There was a lot of people, and I had given specific instructions to that pastor. Like, the goal is you come in, you have to do minimal work. You come in, you say hi, you read the names of the people that want to be baptized by you, make sure they're there, and then you go change in your bathing suit, and I'll meet. We'll get everybody out there in line and everything. Like that was the that was what I told him. He comes in, he's doing everything different. It was very frustrating for me because it made everything confusing. So then on Monday we come in for our debrief meeting with her, and I just frust- in a frustrated way I said, if you just let me do my job, it'd go a lot smoother right? It was a fleshly moment. And uh, she told her best friend, which was his daughter, who told in turn told him, and then he called me in his office and he fired me over that. He's like, you, you, did you say this about me? I was like, yeah. And he never once asked for a reason. And, uh, and then he tried to support it with some theological things that he said we had differences on. And, um, you know, I explained those things. There was nothing major at all it was really nothing major and it all goes back to the fact that he thought i was going to plant a church so there was some really bad blood there and that was the inception of all out war podcast (laughs) honestly um i felt like i had been wrongly terminated from a job i felt like turnernated i was turnernated uh there is scripture that talks about, you know, don't let an accusation come before an elder. You need to have two or, you know, more than two people. So there never would have been able to have even two because it was me and her in, in my office. So if I would have said, no, I never said it, he, he has no way to prove it. And the Bible is pretty clear about an accusation against an elder. But I didn't deny it because I'm not a dishonest person. Like, yeah, I said it. I, and I apologized. I, I apologized um, twice about it, you know, and, and um, I meant it. Um, so for whatever reason, he didn't want me there anymore. And, um, you you know, you know, these things Like you can just tell the hard part was, is that he didn't want me anywhere. He didn't want me anywhere near him. Like, he's like, I have a friend in North Carolina. Well, I'll call him. He has cancer. He's a, he has a church down there. We can see if you can take over that. And I didn't want to move my, like I said, I was in the thick of raising my family. We had been here for 17 years in this County and, I wasn't prepared to move. My fa- my wife's family was here. We you know, it was we have roots. There's no it's a big county. There's plenty of room for other churches. Plenty of room for other churches. We need more churches preaching <laughs> the Bible. You know what I mean? Like in my mind logically 
he could have multiplied what the ministry was doing through his church by helping me even, like supporting it. He wouldn't. And so uh, so I ended up leaving, and my brother-in-law was going to a small church in the same town, a much smaller church, like 200 people, and uh, he talked to the lead founding pastor there, and he said, yeah, I'll give you, I'll give him a shot, I'll talk to him or whatever. So the, he, we ended up meeting. He ended up having a history with the, with that pastor. He had been fired from that pastor as well. And I was like, oh my gosh. So like, I'm like, I didn't even know any of this. And he's like, no, you won't tell anybody about this. But he literally was the guy that was the initial starting pastor of the Cornerstone. And people don't know the history, you know, and I didn't believe him. I even went, so the founding church was this church, CFC, Christian Fellowship Church. That was the founding church of Cornerstone Chapel. And I even went to the founding pastor of Christian Fellowship Church, Pastor Allman, took him to lunch and asked him about the story of how did, how did Cornerstone start. And it was, it was not the way that it was presented to us, you know, that we're at Cornerstone. It was very different than that. I'll just leave it at that. And so... You know, once these things start coming out and you're already angry, it's really hard not to, like, let it get to you and stuff. So I had to sort through a lot of stuff. Like, I I remember every Sunday for over a year, I would go behind the building before church that because I, I ended up getting hired by that other little church. And I'd go behind the building, and I would pray for that man. I'd pray for the lead pastor at Cornerstone. I'd pray for him and pray that his service would go well and that people would respond to the gospel. And it was hard I did not want him to succeed. I wanted him to be found out for the way he treated me. I wanted to be vindicated. And um, it was really, really hard for me, Rosie. I, I, It took all of that year to get to the point of where my prayers were actually like... Genuine. Genuine, yeah. And I just kept telling God, I'm like, God, you know, and I know that you know where I am on this, but I'm doing it because I know I have to do this. And I do not want to have a bitter heart. I do not want to have a heart that it refuses to... Um, you know, to hang on to something like it's not, there's not enough time in life to be hanging on to these things. And so um, I ended up having to leave that church, the little one, because they couldn't financially support me. So they let me go. And, um, and it was actually a relief. Um, That church was a very different philosophical style. And one of the things that was presented to us is there was another church that wanted to merge with us, and they were actually going to give us their building. It had been around for, it was one of the oldest churches in Loudoun County. It was a Baptist church, and they were going to merge with us, and we would have doubled our congregation. We would have gone to about five or 600 people. Um, they had an older, aging-out staff. We would have been able to take over, and we would have had a school as well. They had a K-8 through school. And I just thought, this is amazing. Like, God is just... And our building, we were renting our building, we were paying so much, and we were the lease was all wonky, there was all these issues. And I was like, this is God. We met as a church, and we met as churches together, and we, we would do these prayer times together, and it was just like amazing. And I was like, how is this not the Lord? And we went to vote, and it was me and one other elder that voted for the merge. Everyone else voted against it. I could not understand why. I mean, I had prayed through. I had great pe- I was super encouraged. I thought this is going to be. I remember. Yeah. And um, the fact that they said no just blew my mind. And it turns out they ended up, that church ended up closing down too, essentially. They, uh, they're still in existence, but they, he, the lead pastor that started, he stepped away. When COVID hit, he stepped away and he handed it to another guy that had a, a church, a local church. So they basically merged with another church anyways that didn't have a building, that didn't have 
financial financial security, didn't have a school. Like, it made no sense to me why they did what they did. And um, but you know the Lord, in His sovereignty, um, He spared me. And um, I did that time for me to work there for a year and a half was a healing time. You know, I was preaching a lot there too on Sunday mornings and still doing young adult. We tried to do a young adults thing there. It was really tough. You know, when you have like the biggest young adult group in the county, like a mile away that you started, you think people, oh, they'll follow you over. They won't. They won't follow you over. You know, you, you followed. (laughs) There was like four people that followed me over. The problem is, is that, you know, the building... There, yeah. A lot of stuff happens in the building and stuff like that. That matters, you know, yeah. coffee shops and yeah. good sound system. And it's very nice to have all that. Anyways, so um, that birth, you know, the fact that we were, that I was let go, I was frustrated. And I remember you would come over and watch The Walking Dead on Sunday nights with me right after I got fired from Cornerstone. And you were hanging out. And I wasn't really, I don't know, maybe you can speak to this. I don't think I was venting a lot on it. But we had our buddy Cody, who was on the po- podcast as well, at the beginning, mm-hmm. and um, I can remember one night you and Cody and I were recording, and we record on Sunday nights just like we are right now. And uh, I remember you. I remember I w- kind of went off. I kind of went off, and it was like a rant for like an hour, and I was just kind of venting out, and it was all good. Like it wasn't like. It was true. Everything I was saying was true. I mean, this was like... It wasn't slander. Right after. Yeah, it was pretty close after. <laughs> it was. I was pretty fresh. The wounds were fresh. Yeah. And uh, I remember we recorded it, and everybody was kind of like looking at each other. And I'm like, I, I mean, at that point, nobody listened to us anyways, right? So, But it would have eventually made it back to, to them at the leadership at Cornerstone probably. But I remember I went to go on the computer and save it, and I accidentally erased it. Like literally deleted it, mm-hmm. and it, like I don't even know how I did it. And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And you guys were like, "What?" And I was like, "I just deleted everything we recorded." And that was God. Mm-hmm. That was the Lord looking out for me. He was he like, "You're you're fleshing out here, boy. I need to I need to step in." <laughs> so, uh, but then the podcast became a really great. Um, not only was it a, uh, I look forward to it every, you know, every episode yeah. that we've done. I've never not wanted to do it, mm-hmm. ever. Like, um, I still get a little bit of butterflies in my stomach um, every Sunday. I do. I get like little yeah. butterflies, and um, and I just get excited about it. And it's become a ministry of its own that I never expected. And um, if some of you guys are wondering what happened with my work, because I'm no longer like employed as a church at a pastor, I'm still ordained. Um, I still can marry them and bury them, uh, as they like to say. But um, but I also am serving as a chaplain um, for two different companies. And I um, I for the last three years, I was working as a project manager building high-end custom homes for a company that is an amazing company. And then they started a whole other company, and they gave me an opportunity to help run that company um, as a, as a sort of a subsidiary of them. And so for the last, um, I guess about a year I've been doing that and, uh, and it's, God has just blessed it so much. And the freedom of being able to speak here on the podcast level of the things I really want to talk about, um, is a different type of ministry. And I think it's for me, honestly, I think it, for me, it's probably more fitting. 
I love preaching. I just preached two weeks ago, you know, at a young adult group at another local church, and I love it. Like, it's, I'll never not love that. Um, and I know that God has gifted me in that area. Um, but I think the season of it is over for the way that I had perceived it. And I think even the way I view church now, you and I were just talking about it like before we hit record. I was like, maybe we need to start a church for like people that are awake, you know, because you're awake, you go to church and you hear a sermon and it's just, it's just not hitting where it needs to hit, you know, and, and it's not because you have some secret knowledge that's better or anything like that, but there's just a different level of, of spiritual awoke, awoke, awakeningness awakenness i don't know you're you're aware mm-hmm. you're perceptive on a level that is very a little bit more it's a little bit deeper and um you know for me some of those things are like the nephilim yeah. um we start looking into some of the things like um the end last days and the way that those are going to play out and um and uh and it really does feel like i'm engaging the culture more um when with the truth the way we do it now so anyways that's my my kind of story from birth to now (laughs) (laughs) um i've never had resolution with that pastor you know the lord gave me resolution with lynn um so i don't know maybe the lord one day will um and maybe it'll be the type of thing where I'll get a call mm. and they'll be like, hey, I just need to say I'm sorry to you. That would be cool because that's never really happened. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't hold my breath for anything like that. Um, and it's not necessary. Um, I don't hold anything against them. These are brothers in the Lord, sisters in the Lord, and I want nothing but the best for them. Um, honestly, I'm not just saying that. I do want the, nothing but the best for them. Uh, but, you know. People hurt people and do things and, you know, and I don't want to pretend like I know what's going on in that guy's life. Like there's stuff, there's weight of trying to lead a big church like that, that I probably couldn't even imagine. And um, so I'm not going to pretend like he's like living on easy street or something like that. And he just had a bone to pick because he didn't like the way I parted my hair or something. It was much, probably much more than that. And, um, I'll never know really what it was, but um, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to make light of it. Was it hurt? Did I? Was I hurt? Yeah. Am I still hurt? Yeah. I'm. It still hurts a lot to be, to serve a church for that long so faithfully and have so much fruit and then just be cast aside um, on a whim like that, you know, uh, without even having a second chance. Like saying, "Well, why would you say that to me?" You know, about mm-hmm. me. Like just, just very. Very hard. Um, so, anyways, I don't know. Is there anything you want to interject in, or anything that probed a question for you? Or no? <laughs> Should I come up with one? No, I don't know. I mean, I had questions for you on yours. You know, there was things you were talking about. I think you, you laid it out a lot better than I did. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> You're a much better public speaker than I am. Oh, well, it's no. my life. I mean, yeah. it's easy to remember, I guess. Yeah. But um anyways. Yeah, yeah, nothing relevant for the podcast. Yeah, yeah.
Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. If you had a blast, then we'd love to have you back for another episode. So please subscribe and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram at All Out War Podcast or on Twitter at AOWCast. These episodes are also available on YouTube unless they contain a little too much truth. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.